welcome everyone to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with Coach Lou Weiss, who's also the president of All Metals and Forge Group. They make seamless rolled rings and open die forging, many for gear blanks, like the background behind us. You can find those at steelforge.com. And joining us today is Norbert Orr, our senior correspondent, who speaks about the global survey he does of the purchasing managers' indexes around the world. Norbert, welcome back to the show. Thank you, glad to be with you. Always, so, always a pleasure. So it, it looks like the, we're not quite sure what the flock of starlings are doing. They're not, they're, they're all above the line except China and China's making it up anyway. So how are we doing? How's it looking? Well, as, as you well know, we follow 18 particular uh, uh, industries or, or, or purchasing managers indexes around the globe. Uh, and we track those because we think they are best indicative of the global economy and, and what, uh, what's taking place there. So that's the first place I look each month to say, okay, how how does this index work? Uh, and as you uh, as you would see on the screen, if uh, if you have that capability, uh, what uh, we're experiencing is a slow deterioration globally in the rate of growth. And uh, some countries are uh, not growing right now. Uh, that would be uh, China, uh, the two China surveys. Uh, there's two of those, and anything below 50 is a uh, uh, low growth environment, if at all. Uh, the one China survey is at 46, and the other is at 47.4. Uh, so there's a lot uh, uh, going on in terms of China is trying to reposition itself. Uh, the Shanghai area has been uh, very, very uh, concentrated in, in the decline because mu much of the manufacturing in China focuses around the Shanghai area. Uh, so they're, they're trying to work their way back in. But when we look at uh, the classifications, we, we do a, a four square analysis and uh, what we're looking for is the amount of strength that they have and how much expansion is taking place. So uh, what's the, the expansion and what's the rate of expansion? What's the decline? What's the rate of decline? So uh, when we look at it on that basis, those that are uh, weakening but still expanding. Uh, there's 10 countries that fall into that group and that would be led by uh, ISM's manufacturing and services. Uh, the Eurozone is uh, fairly high in that uh, classification. Uh, of course, Germany leads the Eurozone. So we see that continuing to, uh, uh, to, to get, uh, Strong, stronger recently. Uh, then if we look at what's strengthening but uh, is 
uh, also expanding, we see uh, UK SIPS survey, the Texas Manufacturing Survey, Australia, India, and Korea that are all experiencing uh, growth in addition to the expansion. And we would expect to see some of that continue, I think, uh, over the next, uh, uh, till the next survey. Uh, in general, manufacturing and the major business surveys and so on show that uh, we're in a, a declining mode, not yet at a level that uh, says we're, we're recessionary by any means. Uh, but we are uh, losing the momentum that we had, uh, whatever momentum we had coming off the first half of the year uh, is slowing significantly. I think that uh, the uh, other, I think, uh, I think that we're going through a, a period uh, also of uh, mass confusion. Um, we, we talk to uh, a lot of manufacturing people and we talk to uh, quite a few different uh, economists and they all have s s sort of different slices of the same truths. Uh, I don't know if everybody's on the same plane as, um, you know, we are in inflation, but are we heading to recession? No. Another one I read this morning, the recession may come in 2023. Uh, others are saying, well, right. maybe not 2023, but in, um, uh, in the mid to latter part of 2022. I know this is not an exact science, certainly, but all you folks move in the same direction, you know, the herd crossing the plains. Uh, I think they got some runaways that are going in slightly different directions. And, and I, I think that's the issue really, Lou, is for us to understand that uh, that movement is taking place. Things are getting slower. Things are getting more toward uh, 50, where uh, we would see no significant growth beyond that. Uh, and we, we have all this information coming in uh, and the, the more information we get, the less we know. Right. And you remember Reagan's favorite thing was uh, if uh, your neighbor loses uh, his job, it's a recession. If you lose your job, it's a depression. And <laughs> That's what a lot of what we see. What we see right now is uh, it, it's uh, there's some businesses do, still doing well. There's a lot of manufacturers that can't get enough raw materials. Uh, this thing with the uh, baby formula uh, that that's that's a crisis, and uh, I'm not sure that they just had a report this morning that. Uh, uh, they uh, had problems at the plant and had to shut the plant down again. Again? Uh, again. And uh, so th that poses a very difficult uh, 
question. You know, we've often talked about guaranteeing supply, that you have to have confidence in your supply chain to, to guarantee the, the supply of product that you're supposed to be uh, getting with that. And uh, we certainly are now questioning that guarantee of supply across the, across the supply chain. Well, that certainly makes a serious problem. I, I even heard uh, yesterday that I think it was Delta Airlines that volunteered to fly formula from Europe to the United States for free. Um, they, they're probably right. trying to get out from under some government restriction that uh, they don't want to abide by. So they'll, they'll throw in a free flight. Yeah. Uh, well, there's there's always room for some freight on yeah. uh, on those planes. Uh, but you know, and that's the other thing. Everybody has lost confidence in everybody else. Uh, suppliers, whether you're a supplier, a buyer, a seller, wh whatever it is, it's hard to have confidence when you see what's happened over the last number of months. That uh, if it wasn't for bad decisions, there wouldn't have been any decisions at all. And uh, we continue to uh, uh, to push. Uh, the the data that we say, you know, uh, we're, we're accusing oil industry of get price gouging. Uh, well, when your product goes up 40% in the course of, a, of weeks, uh, you have to get some recovery out of that if, if you expect to stay in business when it's when it's all over. Saw so a thing uh, again on uh, the news where one guy had been in a filling station in Massachusetts. Uh, he opened it 50 years ago. <laughs> and just the rate of change that's going on right now put him out of business. He said he just couldn't, he, he couldn't continue to fund it because oil prices go up and he's got to order a tanker. And he's got to have 30% more cash than he got out of that previous tanker. So some that's got to come from somewhere. Well, and, and we have a lot of people that don't understand supply chains and how they work. Well, here's a, a short story that happened to me that demonstrates how supply chain maybe is not what we all think it is. For example, last Friday night, I went to dinner. I met my wife at a restaurant. On the way to the restaurant, two blocks before, was a gas station. And it was all lit up. It was, uh, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock. It was all lit up. And I was able to see the price of gas was at five eighty-nine uh, a gallon for regular. Two hours later, right. two hours later, I'm leaving the restaurant. I passed the same gas station going home. And it was 6.19. They raised, <laughs> they raised the price of gas uh, 11, 20, uh, 30 cents in two hours. I saw it. I saw it happen. That's insane. The prices didn't go up in two hours by 30 yes. cents. No, but his inventory or her inventory, whoever, 
uh, actually declined by a tanker load. And so he had to replace a tanker load of fuel uh, with cash that he probably didn't have. Now he's gonna get more for it when he eventually sells it all. But if the price drops in the meantime, uh, he might be at benefit from it. If it doesn't drop, uh, it's gonna be difficult uh, for him then to fund the next tank of gas. So it's just one thing after another that uh, keeps, uh, you know, uh, we've got refinery issues. We, we don't want to build refineries. Uh, and one of the things that I'm always, uh, I've followed the energy market for a lot of years. And one of the things we always look for uh, in, in the energy market is, uh, can they expand? And uh, I always hear some talking heads say, well, uh, nobody in the oil business is building a new refinery ever. Well, the best way to uh, expand capacity in the oil business is to expand existing refineries, to increase the throughput that goes through that. So building a new refinery really isn't an issue. It's do we have capital incentives in place to where uh, we, we can get uh, those refineries uh, enlarged uh, and create more capacity and we can solve more of that. Now, the big problem is that is not a six month effort. That's, that's an effort of two or three years to be able to design and build an expansion in a, in a refinery. You would think that the 10% oil rebate that the government has been shelling back to the oil industry for probably the last 50 years, 40 years, you think that would help them from raising their price, maybe unnecessarily. I believe in price gouging. Well, uh, uh... Whether it is or it isn't, I guess it doesn't matter because it, it is what we have to live with, uh, you know, from, from that. And everybody's got a, uh, that's got a stake in the game. Everybody can come up with all kinds of justification uh, for why they do that. Uh, one, one of the things I look back at was back during the 80s, uh, we just basically changed the way we thought about uh, the energy industry and, and so on uh, for a period of time. And, you know, uh, we, uh, we almost remind me of a, a, co a comedy where uh, we're constantly changing our direction on energy. First, we're going to expand it and grow it. Then we're going to uh, hold it back and everybody's going to drive a uh, electric car uh, they don't. They don't ever mention the electric pickup trucks and the electric service trucks and uh, the the costs that uh, uh, that there occurred. I, I I do believe that most people think that electric uh, vehicles, because they are plugged into the grid, uh, that, that 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 nobody has to pay for fuel. 
And uh, I, I think that's uh, really not the case. I think so. there's always somebody that has to pay for fuel. Well, Norbert, there's two pieces of that puzzle. In order to generate the electricity, you're burning fossil fuels. And then in order right. to charge the car, you're paying for the electricity you're sucking into your battery. So I don't see right. there's a particular upside. And sooner or later, somebody's going to come up with a cost per mile estimate and say, okay, the cost per mile for a gallon of gas is 25 cents. And for electricity, it's 85 cents. Have a nice time with your Tesla. Yeah. And the solution uh, to tell people they ought to buy an electric car, if they can afford an electric car, they're not worried about the price of gasoline. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, Norbert, I've heard uh, two uh, discussions on the same topic. The Fed raised the interest rate three quarters of a point. And one says that may begin to uh, temper inflation. And the other argument says what's causing inflation will not be affected by what the Fed does with interest rates. Here, here. Like, Matter is probably accurate. Here, here. What's your thinking on that? Well, the, the two are, are not uh, compatible uh, necessarily. Uh, the, the monetary, you know, uh, we, we've got uh, two philosophies that have been engaged by the administration. One of them is the Fed printed way too much money. I think uh, early on in that process, I, I made the claim that the uh, Fed was the world's biggest uh, prosecutor. Or, uh, 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 the, 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 yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's the case. Also, we had a Congress that uh, with the, the help of Senators Manchin and Cinema. Uh, uh, they managed to stop all of the ridiculous spending that was not winding up where it, it was ridiculous to start with, but it was not winding up where it was supposed to wind up anyway. So we, we got very little benefit out of all of that money that we just uh, uh, kind of opened the, the, the door and threw, threw it out into the wind uh, because uh, there's certainly that way. Uh, so then my, my experience, Lou, is that the Fed, uh, is, uh, can, can reduce demand with, re, uh, reducing the, the money supply by short, making, uh, uh, money, uh, more scarce. Uh, but they can't do away with all of these other problems. Uh, and most of those, frankly, get tied uh, to wages. That once you get inflation into wages, you can't get it back out. Uh, if you are uh, looking at monetary policy, you can change monetary policy and have an impact. But uh, you can't change the employment picture. Uh, you can't change uh, you know, uh, when people were talking about $20 a gallon or 
uh, I'm sorry, about $20 an hour in wages. It was very much the case that uh, uh, people who are uh, paid $20 an hour, uh, but they're used to making $12, uh, I, my concern is, are they productive? Did we get any increase in productivity? And the answer is, yeah, we got some increases. McDonald's went to more computerization and so on. Other companies went to, to more computerization. But in general, we raised the wages for a, a lot of people that aren't any more productive and maybe were questionably productive uh, in, in the beginning. So uh, I think there are some things with demand destruction. Uh, I always look at the oil industry and, and uh, I, I consider uh, gasoline and uh, fuel well, et cetera, as a tax on growth, because money that would typically go to other good uses, they're just getting price increases. And yes, you know, whether you like to call it gouging or don't like to call it gouging, it, it is uh, misappropriating the allocation of funds, funding that ought to go into capital expansion and productivity improvements uh, doesn't find its way there. I have uh, an issue and a point that you just brought up. Uh, let's go back to the idea about the inflationary uh, effects of policy. Uh, Mr. Trump instituted the tariffs on primarily China, but probably about 10, 12 other countries, and uh, to a great extent on steel. So they raised the prices on steel. I'm sorry, they raised the tariff on steel, which the Chinese didn't pay. And there are still people out there that believe that China paid the tariff. Not true. I paid the tariff. Tim paid the tariff. Right. The companies here in this country are paying the tariff causing the cost of goods, manufactured goods, to go up. Now, why did this really happen? Well, I think what really happened was that the policy was to protect the U.S. steel industry. This gave them the opportunity, being that the tariff went up by between 25 and 35 percent, depending upon what steals. Uh, the steel industry now had a license to gouge the American Steel. public by raising the price to match the Chinese new price. So the steel industry, they're now building new plants and they're opening up in Kentucky and Tennessee and, you know, steel industry is doing great in this country. But that's because you and I paid for it. Right. I think it's just another bad. Well, uh, and Mr. Biden is not particularly you know, interested in doing away with the tariffs. Well, that, that's why I guess some of some of us are probably more leaning toward a free trade uh, and keep the keep other people out of the pricing mechanism well, because they don't understand. Idea. They, they really did, you know, uh, 
not to expand our discussion, but they really didn't understand what they were doing in the Ukraine and the, the uh, follow-on effects of uh, that war, of stopping the production, huge grain country, grain producer, uh, we're going to be paying for that. So, uh, and I've yet to find any of these, uh, Lou, that you and Tim and I are not paying for, and many of, uh, of our listeners probably, we're all uh, sucked into this too, that uh, uh, some, the, the only people that can pay the bills are the ones that have cash in their pocket. Right. And if they don't have cash in their pocket, they're not going to be uh, helping with the bill paying. Well, we did a great thing for Ukraine. Uh, we did get rid of one of the tariffs, one of the steel tariffs. We got rid of the steel right. on Ukrainian steel. That was the same week that Russia blew up the steel mill. So we were, <laughs> we showed our humanity. We did away with the steel tariffs on Ukraine, even though they didn't have a steel mill. There's backward thinking. Right. Did they get a 100% of the vote on that? I it seems like everybody would be in favor of it if it wasn't there. I, I don't know how that evolved, but I, I was so shocked when I heard it. You know, Give them reprieve on tariffs. Let's blow up the steel mill. There. Right. That'll take care of them for a long time. Norbert, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, well, the only country that went through COVID or shutdowns or printed money like mad. Uh, how did the European countries handle it? Germany, the UK, weren't they both in that kind of same mix and now they have the same problem? Yes. The, uh, uh, all of those Eurozone countries uh, they had to pay the price. In fact, uh, 130 countries probably had to pay the price in some, uh, in some way. Uh, so they, they didn't escape it completely. What they are escaping is for every billion dollars, uh, seems like to me for every billion dollars that uh, we put into the Ukraine, uh, Europe puts in a million. Uh, th those odds uh, aren't, aren't the best uh, that I've seen. Right, right. Well, as we wrap this segment up, well, where to from here, Norbert? Uh, you're talking about some of the steam coming out of this uh, engine. Is that what you would expect over the next couple of months, or is there going to be any kind of an uptick as ships begin to reach our shores and clog our ports here? Um. If we look back at history, and, and I'm not sure that's as good a, uh, an indicator today as it's been in uh, some eras, but as, as we look back at history, the, the uh, PMI uh, for manufacturing in the U.S., the PMI for services in the U.S., usually falls off at an average of about one and a half points to two points per month. 
And I think that's probably the best explanation for where we are right now is that we're going to continue to see a slow, I think you said, as we let the steam out of it, uh, we, we're going to let the steam out of it, not have any choice about that. Uh, if we can keep the Congress from doing any other dumb things, then uh, that will help tremendously. But I'm not sure that, uh, uh, that we're capable of that. There, there's an awful lot of interaction between China and Taiwan. Uh, if we think uh, the Ukraine and Russia is a mess, uh, China and the U and China and Taiwan would be an even bigger mess. Uh, especially, and, uh, especially when we agree. Taiwan is so much more. Especially yeah. when we agree yeah. to support now, Taiwan. <clears throat> Well, Norbert, we you know Taiwan. Sorry, we appreciate the uh, the report. Lou and I always uh, grab it and go through it. Uh, I just again want to remind our listeners that they can participate in this report and just uh, send us an email or send Norbert an email, and we will uh, have a link on the web page so that you can find it or you can participate in the survey if you're a manufacturer and get a copy of the two reports that are put out in this subject area both very valuable and norbert does something a little different they measure it mid-month instead of waiting until after the end of the month because manufacturers pretty much know what their business is going to look like mid-month for the whole month Norbert, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank My you. pleasure. Have a good one. And uh, we'll see you next month uh, with new uh, insights and uh, maybe some upticks. But we'll see how. Uh, that I'll have changed. Stay with me in just a second, Lou, if we can. Sure. Uh, just wanted to share with you guys. Uh, we have sold our house in Atlanta or Marietta, and uh, we're building a house in Florida. So uh, I'll invite you guys to uh, come and join the group uh, that has no state income tax, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, <laughs> we're doing it for totally altruistic uh, purposes. Our two youngest grandchildren are there. So uh, it's a move uh, uh, designed to, to put us closer to them. So I thought that you were looking for ultimate waterfront property in Florida when all the glaciers melt. Uh, <laughs> that would be called so, Georgia. That would know, be called what? That would be we're, called we're, South we're, Georgia. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. All right, gentlemen. Well, I'm more worried. You know, we didn't talk, we didn't even talk about the electric grid. I'm probably more worried about the electric grid this summer than I am all these other things. Well, I think we're going to save that for next month because we'll be closer. A lot of the yeah. primaries will okay. be uh, behind us, uh, and a lot of stupids will be in front of us. So uh, I think next <laughs> month is a good month to talk about the up and coming. And big okay. thanks.
for Take care, joining. guys. Take care. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. For yeah, this bye-bye. Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.